Engaging Leader, episode 100, Becoming the Boss, New Rules for Gen Y Leaders, featuring Lindsay Pollock. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Whether you know it or not, we are in the midst of a leadership revolution. As power is gradually passing from baby boomers and Gen Xers on to millennials. All grown up, the highly educated Generation Y is moving into executive positions in companies and government, as well as running their own businesses. All together, they're beginning to have a profound impact that's going to last for decades. The author of best selling Getting from College to Career has now taken a fresh look at career success that shows Gen Y how to take the next step, becoming a leader. Lindsay Pollock's newest book is Becoming the Boss, New Rules for the Next Generation of Leaders. And based on my reading, I think there's a lot of relevant stuff in this book for those of us in the older generations too. Lindsay Pollock, welcome to Engaging Leader. Thank you for having me. Lindsay, am I alone in my reaction to the book as, a, as an older, as a Gen Xer, that there's a lot of meat in here that we older folks can, can pick up on too? Do you get that reaction a lot? I do. The first time I saw it was actually in the Amazon reviews that came out about a week before the book launched. And I definitely had that in the back of my mind when I wrote the book because I'm very, very, I was very, very cautious to say I'm not telling millennials things that everybody else shouldn't hear. I don't think millennials play by completely different rules than everybody else. I think my additional millennial tips are additive to what other generations need. But I think it's really about the fact that the workplace is changing. Millennials are doing a lot of that changing. So anyone who wants to thrive in this sort of high-tech, multi-generational global workplace, I I hope would gain a lot of tips from the book. What's been most surprising to you as you dig as you've dug into these new new rules for Gen Y leaders what what were you not expecting to find one of the things I'm finding as I tour around with the book particularly at corporations is there seems to be I I thought that the biggest challenge would be Millennials leading people older than they are um, and that certainly is something that gets talked about but I'm getting a lot more anxiety about millennials managing their peers. Mm. And when you grow up in this very collaborative, you know, everybody wins a trophy on the soccer <laughs> team, very friendly, kind of likable generation, and, and those are all positives, you know, um, it's very hard to kind of step up and lead. And I think there's also a sense that everybody's a leader in millennials. I actually did a study for the book um, with the Hartford called the 2014 Millennial Leadership Survey. And we asked millennials, do you consider yourself to be a leader? leader today. We didn't define leader. We said, according to your definition, and 83% said, I consider myself to be a leader. So I think to actually step up and be um, ahead of all these people who think of themselves as leaders seems to be much more challenging than, than a lot of young people anticipated. That's interesting. So on the one hand, they readily accept this truth that a lot of us who study leadership have a hard time getting people to accept that whether or not you're in a, a position of authority, you should consider, view yourself as a leader because it's all about how, how the extent to which you influence other people. So they readily accept that. 
But then it's the the part that we traditionally have had struggled with, uh, or I found easier to understand when you're actually in a position of authority, that's where a Gen Y might struggle a bit more. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, too, that you tend to sort of want everyone to be important. And so ranking people or being above somebody else, the the competitive piece seems to be a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm sure it's not true across the board, but I get that question a lot. And they're sort of sheepish about it. Um, But it, it seems to be really challenging, whereas I think baby boomers love to lord above other baby boomers and, you know, show where they are in the in the rankings to give kind of a stereotype about boomers. Um, but I think millennials are really struggling with that. And I wonder, we tend to look at these sort of hip Silicon Valley, Silicon Alley startups that are totally millennial driven. I'm really curious to look at all millennial companies where they don't really have anyone of other generations and, and study them a bit more and understand how they come to terms with somebody needing to be the boss of their peers. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that I was thinking of when I read your book is, number one, typically when I think of a millennial-led organization, I'm thinking West Coast, Silicon Valley. (laughs) But your domain has really been strongly New York and the East Coast. And what, what do you... What's different there when you see millennials in leadership on the East Coast versus sort of the stereotype that we all think of? You know, to to grossly generalize, it's so much more common on the West Coast and obviously specifically Silicon Valley that I think the reason I get brought in as a consultant or a speaker, corporate trainer um, in more, quote, traditional companies is because it's much more uncomfortable. So I think on the West Coast or in technology companies or startups, there's a sense that anyone can can be the one with the idea. I think it's kind of, I call it the Zuck effect. You know, Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> is kind of the, right, the iconic, you know, young leader. But at the companies I work with, which are really big Fortune 500 companies, professional services firms, it's just really uncomfortable because in those environments for decades, if not, you know, centuries for some of them, if you had more experience in terms of time, you were more senior and you had more skill. And now suddenly because of technology that is completely flipped on its head and you have a lot of companies where the entry level intern knows more about a really essential component of the business, technology or social media or software or programming or whatever it is, than even the CEO who's been there forever. And I think Silicon Valley just doesn't have that length of time to make those comparisons. But at a lot of the companies I work with, that is just so uncomfortable and awkward and different from everything they've ever done that they're really looking for guidance on what the new model is going to be. Hmm. Now, in the first part of your book, you talk a while about what hasn't changed. And you actually make the point that you're not trying to say that there's this complete revolution in what leadership's all about. What, what is, do you have an example or two of some things that haven't changed that would apply to a new Gen Y leader, uh, leader as, as much as it has in the past? Absolutely. And I think it's so funny that you, you picked up on the word revolution. I desperately wanted to call this book The Leadership Revolution, but it just didn't work. It just wasn't the <laughs> truth. I just thought that was such a great word. So, so look for it in a future book if I can find a way to work it in. <laughs> Right. Um, But I really felt and and that's why I created this chapter that I called 0.5. I created like a half chapter, which is 
in my opinion, and, and I consulted a lot of um, MBA students and professors and graduates, you know, what are the essential books or the essential gurus or thought leaders or concepts that you have to know to be a leader? You know, the art of war, uh, seven habits of highly effective people, how to win friends and influence people, uh, good to great, the classics. I think there are classic rules or concepts of leadership that are not going away and have lasted for decades and decades and decades. You still hear people cite a lot of the concepts in those books, and you might not even know that's what they're citing. So I think knowing your history is absolutely essential and is not changing. I also think communication, and whether that means communicating eyeball to eyeball or on Skype or by text message, you still have to be able to articulate yourself and understand the audience that you're communicating with. So I think the general communication rules that I think, and I say this in the book, as the leader, you cannot communicate too much. You absolutely have to be in touch with the people you manage and make sure they understand where you're coming from, no matter what the technology or method um, that you're using is. And the third piece I would add is I really am such an advocate of smart, well-read, intelligent leaders. So the idea that you have to keep learning throughout your whole career, that might even be a, a new trait. But I think the people who succeeded in the past, even when the workplace wasn't as dynamic or as fast changing as it is, were the people who were always growing and always learning and always trying to build their skills. And I think that's um, just as important today, but probably even more so. I did love that about the book. It's, Of course, the book is organized into three parts, learn, lead, and last. And yet even the last part, last, when it comes down to lasting, you actually end with the talk talking about growing, which of course has a lot to do with learning as well. So it brought it full circle and I thought it was a great point to make. Thank you very much. So though, if those were our three things, the three things that you just mentioned that haven't changed, do you have two or three things that you could share with us today about what what is something totally different that applies to becoming a new leader uh, for Gen Y that's different from in the past? It has to be technology. I mean, the younger leaders today, the millennials, and probably even more so, you know, our children who are under 21 or under 18 um, are going to be digital natives. They clicked a mouse before they read a book. They speak in many ways, I think, another language. Um, so, understanding how to communicate through technology. I say it a lot and I've been criticized for it, but you know, particularly if you're listening to this as a baby boomer or a Gen Xer, I don't think it's acceptable anymore to say, well, I'm just a Luddite. You know, I don't want to use technology. I'm just not good at it. I think it is an essential skill today. And I'm not talking about knowing how to program, but just simply learning the newest technologies that get integrated into work, instant message, Skype, Google Hangouts, you know, telepresence, anything that becomes a competency. So for example, I spend a lot of time talking about being a virtual leader. It's very likely today that if you're a leader, particularly at a big company or, or almost anywhere today, that you're going to have employees or clients or customers who are in another country or at the very least at another location or working from home primarily or disabled and requiring uh, different kinds of uh, technologies to communicate. So you have to learn how to talk into a webcam. <laughs> You have to learn 
how to lead a meeting when there are some people who are in person, some people who are on telepresence who you can see or, or a Google Hangout or what have you, and some people who are on the phone and how to manage all of those different audiences. I think those are skills that can be built and they may seem like small details, but when you're talking about relationships with employees and clients or uh, stakeholders, you know, board members, whoever it is in your organization, learning how to use technology to communicate with them is so important. And I think the other piece is this issue of the multi-generational workforce. I think we just haven't seen the mix of generations and the diversity that we see today, really diversity in general, a global workforce, people from all different regions of the world on the same team, all different generations, all different ethnic, religious, social um, gender backgrounds, you really have to kind of deal with a lot of different kinds of people today. And, and I think that's another competency that's really new um, and really important to millennials. And I, and I think so far they're, they're doing a very good job. I think they're very open to different kinds of people and, and open to different kinds of styles. So that I think is a big positive for this generation. There's a lot of challenge in being a Gen Y person in the workforce in face of a lot of the stereotypes that are out there about Gen Y. How do you advise Gen Y folks to be mindful of that and to, um, uh, to set that aside and still make progress? Being mindful is a really good way of putting it. I think you have to know it exists. And, and what I have fun with, I do a lot of um, presentations on the, the multi-generational workplace, and millennials know. When I ask them to describe their generation, they use every word that Gen Xers like us would use. <laughs> Coddled, entitled, you know, addicted to their phones, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're very self-aware. I mean, you know, in many ways, they're the Oprah generation. You know, they grew up at the <laughs> They were born at like the dawn of the Oprah Winfrey show. They, you know, have been the most pop psychology self-assessed, you know, generation ever. They know what the criticisms are. Um, and what I advise millennials, I actually put it in my first book, defy that stereotype. I think you want to live up to the technical knowledge. You want to live up to the fast-paced, get things done, the, the community service orientation of this generation. Um, you know, all the positives about them. There, the, uh, there was a famous article in Time magazine called The Me, Me, Me Generation that got a lot of attention. It was written by a Gen Xer who was kind of bitter. And he said, <laughs> you know, the, the thesis of the article was essentially, you know, for all of their, quote, faults, they're really nice. This is not a rebellious generation. They want to do a good job. They want to be happy. They want to change the world. They like their parents. They like their bosses. You know, they want to do well. Um, and so what I tell millennials is combine that genuine niceness and self-awareness with some old-fashioned etiquette and modesty. And I think it's a killer combination. So if you're willing to talk to someone face-to-face, -face, have a difficult conversation eyeball-to-eyeball, -eyeball, send a handwritten thank-you note, kind of old-school tactics, um, and say to somebody, you know, for example, not, I don't do grunt work, but I will do anything it takes to get this job done. I think that is absolutely the, the killer app, so to speak, for millennials, because if you take their natural talent and their natural technical skill, and you combine it with just a little bit of hard work or, or work ethic, as a lot of people call it, I think they're truly unbeatable. And 
you know, to get deep for a minute, I'm sure the reason you do the work you do, certainly the reason I do the work I do, is I want to do everything I can to make this next generation great. They're kind of the only ones we have. <laughs> They're going to be in charge when we're, you know, kind of old and gray. They need some skill building. And I, whenever somebody says to me, oh, this generation, they're so terrible, my answer is always, so what are you doing about it? You know, and I think, I think that it's up to each of us to mentor and train and guide this next generation. They are absolutely the future of our country and, and really the future of, of everyone of the world. So if a Gen Y person is listening right now and they have just been tapped to lead a team, they're put in a position of, of uh, formal authority, but they have zero experience managing people, what's, what advice do you give that person? So there are a lot of little tips, but I think the most important overarching tip is you've got to develop a training program for yourself. You have to acknowledge that leadership is a skill. You don't have to wing it. It's not something that you're naturally born to and either you're good at it or you're not. If your company doesn't provide training for you, You've got to create it yourself. And, and for all the companies out there listening, that same study that I mentioned, the uh, Hartford Millennial Leadership Study, we found that millennials said the most important investment their company can make in them as young leaders is training and development. That was number one. Number two was a clear career path. And number three was ongoing coaching and feedback. Millennials want support. So if you're a millennial, look to the management leadership training that your company offers and take advantage of all of it. If they don't offer that kind of training, really assess where you think your skill gaps are. Do you have issues communicating? Are you nervous about managing or reprimanding people? Do you not like to negotiate? You know, where are the areas that you are afraid or nervous? And buy a book on that topic, you know, get one from the library, read a couple of blogs on that topic, download a bunch of podcasts to your iPod and listen to it on your way to work. There's so much information about leadership and management. Just start to consume that information. The second thing I would say is find a leadership mentor or multiple leadership mentors. Talk to people who have been in your shoes. Find someone ideally outside of your organization or outside of your particular department or team who you can ask those difficult questions. Maybe it's even an executive coach, but you really can't do this alone. You've got to create a learning curriculum for yourself and a team around you. You know, it takes a village to be a leader. You don't have to be this kind of sole boss in your corner office by yourself thinking you have to be perfect. It's interesting one of when when you were addressing that in the book and you gave um, the points that you just made plus some additional points. And then at, at some point you say, remember that managing is your job. And you kind of refer to the e-myth and how it's important to not just be working on your business, but in your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... But then you also make the point, but don't forget, be sure to make time for the rest of your work, too. Do you find that it's, I mean, I guess at all ages, we struggle as managers and leaders to both invest the time in developing our team and in our leadership strengths, as well as sort of the technical work that's been put before us. Is that a particular challenge for the millennials? 
It is such a challenge uh, for so many different reasons, but I think first and foremost is it's really hard to understand that as a manager, dealing with people issues is your job. Mm -hmm. It's not taking you away from your job, but because of the economy and decreased budgets and you know everybody doing you know more with less, I find so many leaders say, that sounds great, but in my organization, I'm doing a full-time job plus I'm managing people. So mm. I absolutely acknowledge how difficult a challenge this is. I think the days of somebody just being a middle manager and not having a huge workload are really over. Um, so I think carving out time, literally putting it on your calendar, a chunk of time, maybe two hours when you know you're most productive, close your door or put a little sign on it or, or set your out of office or turn off your instant message and get that work done so that you actually have time in your day for the people management. I think we tend to schedule meetings and phone calls and work, and then all the people stuff never actually gets on the calendar. So even scheduling one-on-one -on -one meetings with your team, making sure they're on the calendar, you know, decreasing the amount of just casual conversation, although that's important too. Um, and I think the hardest thing for a lot of millennials, but really all young leaders, and I talk a lot about this in the book, I think it's really the number one mistake that leaders of all generations make when they first step into that role is you have to kind of let go of being the rock star that got you promoted. You have to pass on some of your best clients, some of your best work, share your ideas and your tricks and tactics that made you so good that you got promoted. You have to start sharing those with your team and delegating and, and maybe giving up some of the fun stuff because you have other things to do now. And that is so hard to do. I struggle with that myself with my employees, but it, you absolutely have to do it if you want to build the business and build your career. Well, I wish I had met you and read your book back when I was getting started because I both... The, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> the, the point that you're making right now, as well as the earlier point about if your company doesn't provide leadership training, then you just need to go get it yourself somewhere. Uh, man, that, that would have been so helpful to me. Um, I just think back at the young... The Jesse in my early 20s and how I struggled in, in those early leadership times and then letting basically uh, it's, it's sort of like short term and long term thinking when you talk about the that, that point about delegation and developing your team, because in the short term, it's you are often going to be uh, praised and rewarded based on what you yourself do. But it, it comes very, very quickly that you're going to you're going to um, get bottlenecked and you're just not going to grow and you're not going to continue to get rewarded like you have been if you don't have this robust team that is getting better and better. And it's not just all about you. Yeah, to give a little tip on that, um, I spoke to a, a really fantastic woman named Jess Lively, and I had actually met her as a student at University of Michigan, uh, your home state or your state. Yeah. And um, <laughs> she, uh, I met her as a student. She had a jewelry business. Now she does coaching and helps other young women and, and people start businesses. And she told me that one of the tricks that she learned was she created what she called an only I or an only me list. And she said, here are the things that absolutely I as the manager am the only one that can do. Everything else I have to delegate. And she tried to narrow that list, I think, to just three items. 
And so what do you absolutely have to keep on your plate? Let everything else go. And that is the hardest thing to do. But I thought that was a really nice way to think about it. She said she pinned up her only I list on her bulletin board right in front of her desk. And anything that didn't fall onto that list, she had to give to somebody else. And it was the best management tip she had to share. That is great advice. Lindsay, for the baby boomers and Gen Xers who are listening and have some Gen Y folks coming up, up and coming on their team, or maybe they suddenly find themselves reporting to a Gen Y leader or in some kind of capacity have maybe a Gen Y project manager or something. How, what can we keep in mind to make this a win-win situation? I love that approach, and I am a Gen Xer, so I, I, I'm one of those listeners. Um, two thoughts come to mind. One is um, that we live in a multi-generational workplace. Everybody has so much value. I love the idea that I've seen in a lot of great companies called reverse mentoring or co-mentoring, where you or I as a Gen Xer or a baby boomer would get a millennial and rather than you know us as the you know executives or more seasoned people just mentoring them, we mentor each other. I think millennials have so much to offer. They see the world from a different perspective. They can give us amazing insight into our millennial colleagues, our millennial consumers, voters, whatever the audience is you want. I love that idea of cross-mentoring or reverse mentoring. And the second thing I would say to anyone who's managed my millennial or, or works with them is I often say millennials want what we all want. They're just more vocal about asking for it. So I think a lot of the things that millennials ask for, happiness at work, flexible schedules, you know, fun workplaces, that would be really great for all of us. So I think rather than seeing their desires as totally different, I think in some ways their desires are kind of our secret desires, but we never really <laughs> thought we could get those things at work. So I think it's a fun, positive way to see millennials and how I think they'll influence the workplace. But I'm very bullish on millennials, and uh, I hope other people will join me in that philosophy. I think those are great tips. And the idea of the reverse mentoring, that was even occurring to me as I was reading your chapter about uh, B.com and getting into social media. And although I use social media a lot, I was learning from what you were saying. And, oh, I didn't even think about that. And it seems like that would be a very – if I were – uh, working with a Gen Wire that I thought mm, it'd be good to get in a kind of a co-mentorship relationship. It seems like a very first and uh, easy topic to ask about would be social media. How can I take advantage of that without it sort of consuming my life? Absolutely. My 14-year-old cousin mentors me on Instagram. So I'm absolutely <laughs> a proponent of, uh, of that strategy and it's very valuable. Lindsay, how can people find out more about you and about your book and your, your other work? Thank you. Uh, my website is my name, lindsaypollock.com, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-P-O-L-L-A-K. My Facebook page where I give lots of free tips and book giveaways is facebook.com slash author. And if anyone's interested in the survey that I mentioned, there's a lot more data on millennials in leadership. You can find that data, the Millennial Leadership Survey, at thehartford.com slash tomorrow. Lindsay Pollack, what a great conversation we've had. Thanks so much for joining us on Engaging Leader. I really enjoyed it, Jesse. Thank you. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Again, the book is Becoming the Boss, New Rules for the Next Generation of Leaders. And we'll provide the information and links that Lindsay Pollack mentioned on our show notes for this episode. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 100 as in episode 100.
This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.